0: My name is Bryce Matthews, and this is the Deep and Lonely podcast presented to you by Houndsman XP. During this podcast, we will dive deep into what makes the ultimate, top-level, and unmatched extreme competition coon hunter. We will hear stories of old, tales of today, and we will dive deep into what separates the men from the boys. The stories will be raw, the truth will be told, and the camaraderie will be second to none. Pull up your chaps, it's about to get deep. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Deep and Lonely, presented to you by the Houndsman XP podcast. Today, we are going south, we are going all the way down to Alexandria, Louisiana. We're going to make a pit stop at Crossroads Animal Emergency Clinic. And we're going to have ourselves an appointment with Dr. Bronk McDaniel. Bronk, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Hey, I'm not too bad. Guys, for those of you who have listened to the previous episodes of Deep and Lonely, you might recognize that recognize that name, Do- uh, Dr. Bronk McDaniel. If you listen to our episode we did with Duel Murphy, you might have caught in on that uh, Duel was in a bad wreck a couple, well, I guess it was last year. And Bronk happened to be the other person in that vehicle with Duel. So we're glad that both of them come out on the good side of that. We're glad to have both of them here. And, Bronk, we are excited to have you sitting down with us today to talk a little bit about some veterinary topics uh, as well as some competition hunting. So you ready to get this thing going? Yes, sir, I am. All right, man, I'm excited about this. So, guys. Me too. Let's start this off. Farm store vaccinations. It's something that we've all done. We've all went to Tractor Supply. We've seen them in the cooler in the back. Are those farm store vaccinations the same as veterinary prescribed vaccinations, and do they have the same effectiveness? Um, the
1: short answer to that is yes, they do. Um, I guess the the dilemma with the farm store vaccines is you got to make sure that they were stored correctly, shipped correctly, and then you take them home and give them correctly. And if all three of those things are done then honestly, they're the same thing that we use at the vet office. Um, The negative side of that that is you don't know how those vaccines were shipped to Tractor Supply or to the phone store, and you don't know how long it took them to put them in the refrigerator. You don't know... What happened after they were in there? Did the power go out for two days? That is a negative. You don't know what happened. Now, once you buy them and you, as long as you take them home, you mix them up and you give them within that 30 minutes of being mixed, um, then they work the same way. Um, But us as veterinarians, you know, a lot of people think we just want to make money on it and that's why we want people to do them through us. But to be honest with you, we really don't make much money on the vaccines. You know, they charge a little bit more than what it, it costs them to buy it. But, they, you know, the vaccines and the puppy shots and all those kind of things are one of the least amount of money makers for a regular veterinarian. Now, I own an emergency vet, ho- vet hospital now, so I don't do any vaccines where I'm at now. But, you know, I owned a day clinic for a while before I sold out. Um, and so I did a lot of a lot of vaccines there. So I know kind of all about that side. But um, I guess I tell people the, the, neg- the biggest negative to form store vaccines is the guarantee with it. If you come into my clinic and I give your dog vaccines at six weeks, nine weeks, 12 weeks, and 15 weeks old, like they're supposed to have, that is what the drug companies and vaccine companies require for your dog to be fully vaccinated is four sets every three weeks, starting at six weeks old. As long as you do that, a week after that 15 week set, so at 16 weeks old, they are considered to be fully vaccinated. And if that dog was to ever catch parvo distemper lepto rabies bordetella any of the things that we vaccinate for you know the drug company that does the vaccines they actually will pay all treatment associated with that disease so if your dog catches parvo at 18 18 weeks old and has to be hospitalized most parvo treatments you know thousand to two thousand dollars it's expensive uh and that company will give a A maximum usually two to three thousand is what they do to treat your dog for parvo and so basically you will get your dog treated for parvo for free um form store vaccines the the companies don't recognize those as a guarantee because they were not given with a by a veterinarian first off and secondly um they don't know if they can trust that form store to have stored them and put them up correctly you know it, it gives a vet a bad name if all their vaccines go bad and their dogs get parvo and so it's just one of those things where i tell people look if it's a dog that you really care about or if it's a dog that's going to be expensive to you and worth some money you're better off getting all that stuff done at a vet office so it's on file and you're protected and the dog's protected
0: is, is that protection uh nationwide is that all across the u.s
1: yep yep it is yep every vaccine company has a different guarantee um, but majority of them are all the same. You know, after you do those vaccines, you have uh, basically when that rabies is done, which is on that last set, usually 15 weeks old, 12 to 15 weeks old one of those sets, um, you're required to do another one in the year. Now, depending on where you are in the nation, some clinics do every three years as far as a seven and one after that first pup he said in the first year old shot after that it'll go to every three years and then some places the rabies is every three years bordetella which is kind of that most people know it as it's an every year vaccine you know once a year uh, where are at where i'm at in louisiana uh we don't have a ton of rabies you know um cases i would say uh, so it's actually once you do the first two it goes to every three years and where i'm at the seven and one eight and one five and one whatever your, your client does." clinic it's a once-a-year vaccine because where I'm at, we're endemic with um, right, with uh, parvo and distemper and lepto and all those things. So it's, a, it's an every-year vaccine for the rest of their life. Now, you can do titers on them when they get old. If you say, look, my dog's 10 years old, had vaccines every single year. I don't think he needs them anymore. Your vet can pull blood, send it out, and they run a titer on the dog's blood to say how protected that dog is from parvo and distemper and lepto and all that. So I have some of my owners that will do that as these dogs get older, cause they don't wanna put anything unneeded into the dog. The problem is the titers are expensive. Um, and so you spend more money doing that than you do just going ahead and vaccinating the dog. Okay. So honestly, I tell people don't mess with the titers um, unless you are one of these people that are against vaccines. I wouldn't mess with the titers. I would just do your rabies. Um, by law, you know, they got to have rabies and every where I'm at. It's called parishes where most people are as counties. But you got to go by the county law or the parish law where I'm at. It's once a year for the first two years and then once every three years after that.
2: The XP podcast network is sponsored by Onyx. The most comprehensive mapping system in the world is available by going to onyxmaps.com and downloading their app several subscription offers there highly recommend you use an onyx and here's a true story for you we've all got that spot where when we turn our hound loose at night they're going to head that direction well the other night my hounds headed in a direction for that property that had recently sold i had no idea who owned that property i simply opened up my onyx app found the landowner information cut the dogs off And the next day, I went to their house. And not only did I get permission to hunt there, I think I made some new friends. They are beef farmers, and they do not like raccoons running through the feed bunks, leaving their mess behind. Yeah. Go to onxmaps.com and download the app today at checkout. Make sure you use the promo code HXP20 and get 20% off. When you join us on Patreon, you will get a discount code for a deeper discount on Onyx Maps. Know where you stand with Onyx.
0: We've we've got a new pup, and we're gonna go through and give it all of its vaccines. What are the vaccines that you're treating that pup for when they come into your clinic to ensure you know they get the best start at life? Especially, especially those guys running, yeah. you know, running. So count. at
1: six weeks old, they do. Yeah, at six weeks old, uh, we do a five in one um it's got like parvo distemper corona and that kind of stuff in it um and that's at five that's at six weeks i'm sorry not five weeks that's at six weeks and nine weeks and then at uh 12 weeks and 15 weeks we do um it's called an eight and one or nine one it's got a leptospirosis in it's we stopped vaccinating for years, and then Hurricane Katrina came through 15, 20 years ago, and we started seeing lepto cases again. So they kind of put it back into the rotation. Uh, but that's one we call it a core vaccine. So six weeks and nine weeks, they get a five in one, um, and or four in one, whichever one your vet does, and then at 12 weeks and 15 weeks, they get a, a seven one or an eight one. Um, we do bordetella, which is a kennel cough, and it kind of depends. They have an injectable version, they have an oral version, and they have an intranasal where it goes in the nose. kind of depends on which one you do. Most clinics where I'm from does uh, the intranasal one, and it's a one-time vaccine, and then it's once a year after that. So you don't have to booster it at all. Uh, rabies, most clinics do at the 16-week or 15-week mark. Um, some clinics where I'm at does it at the 12 week mark, but they have to be at least 12 weeks old to have that rabies vaccine. And then it's once a year or once every three years after that. Now, rabies, the reason we do it at the clinic I own for a while at 15 weeks is because we get a lot of stray puppies in, um, and we really didn't know their birthday. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a 12 weeks old and a 15 week old puppy. So just to be safe and make sure that they're not 10 weeks old when we give them the rabies, we wait until that last set. And that also generally makes most owners come back for that last set a lot of owners slack off after that second or third set and don't want to do that last set um so with them knowing they didn't get their rabies yet they're more likely to come back for that last set if they hadn't had their rabies
0: i got you so uh one of the other things that i've been giving my dogs that my vet recommended was the distemper shot since they're um, you know mainly going to be hunting raccoons and then also a a limes shot to help prevent against the tick disease
1: yep So Lyme, that's what generally makes it a nine in one where I'm at. We don't have Lyme disease, uh, but we meet with me being in the hunting world. I've learned a lot about Lyme disease recently. Uh, I've got, uh, I've got three dogs now, three hounds basically now. And uh, you know, one of them, when I, when I got him, he was positive for Lyme or Lechia and anaplasmosis. So he had everything because somebody wasn't taking care of him correctly, I guess. Um, And you know, it's one of those deals where where I'm at, I don't even we don't even carry Lyme vaccine. We special order it for somebody that travels to the East Coast or to the you know Midwest or something like that. But where I'm at, kind of Gulf Coast region, we really don't have Lyme disease here where I'm at. But with these hounds traveling all over the country, it's one of those vaccines that's normally um, it's either by itself or it's added in with the 8-1. Um, and it's kind of the same deal. You do it twice, you know, you do it at 12 weeks and 15 weeks usually, um, to get it. It's not as good at protection as parvo and all those. So it's not a foolproof proof meth- method. I know dogs that have got Lyme vaccine and still got Lyme disease, um, but it's better than doing nothing for sure.
0: Yeah. So while and we're the on the stemper
1: that the distemper that the distemper is in the five and one, four and one, seven, and one, that's one of the core vaccines. It's in all of those. So when I say 5-in-1 or 7-in-1, 8-in-1, it has a distemper vaccine in it. Okay. It's eight different things in there, and distemper is one of them.
0: Gotcha. So, well, I mean, we're, we're right here. We're on limes and Erlichia. That's a big thing here where I live uh, in Indiana. I know a lot of dogs yeah. that have it. What are some of the things we can do other than that um, vaccination, which is not 100%? What are some things we can do to help prevent those tick-borne diseases? The
1: problem with those tick-borne diseases, and I've dealt with it myself on my personal dogs, you know, your two best options is called Brevecto and Semperica Trio. Those are, are regular Semperica. Those are your best options for tick-borne diseases. Now, m- those medicines are labeled that the flea, the tick, technically doesn't have to bite the dog to, to die from it. And so... The theory is that the dog, the flea get the tickets on the dog, the flea gets on the dog, all that stuff, and it kills those those parasites before they have fed enough to inject that disease into the dog. Um, you know, I've always used Brevecto until here recently. Uh, I use Brevecto, which is a three month flea and tick pill uh and then i used heart uh heart, which is a six month or you can do a 12 month version of the for heartworms um the problem with the brevecto and i've in the last couple months i've switched to some pericotrio in my dogs the brevecto there's there's four or five different major ticks that we see brevecto is labeled for 12 weeks it will kill you know, repel whatever ticks for, and, and fleas for 12 weeks or so three months one tick, and I'm, I'm I'm not for sure exactly which one, but I think it's a long-star tick. It is only killed by Provecto for, for two months. It's guaranteed for two months, not three months. And so my handler has told me over the last couple months that he is finding ticks on the dogs uh, after that second month is up. And after I got to looking at it and researching it and thinking, I was like, well, that's because it doesn't kill this one tick, but for, for eight weeks. And so we had switched because my, my, my best dog, Jed, was diagnosed with very light positive Lyme disease uh, a couple months back um, after being on Brevecto. And so we switched to Sempericotrio. Uh, you know, my dogs are handled by a guy in Kentucky, Jason Daltrey, and I can't get up there often. Sometimes I'm, I'm six months before I see him. And so it's hard for me to get up there and give him the pro heart shot. So he said, look, I'm good about giving medication." Uh, I remember to do it every month rather than every three months. It's going to be easier for me to do it every month. And so we switched them to Seberica Trio. Seberica uh, Trio does worms it does fleas, and it does ticks, and it does a whole month. Okay. So instead of doing the flea and tick pill once every three months, we do it every month now. Um, but it is guaranteed to kill all three of those four, you know, all four of those major lines of ticks for the whole month. And so I expect that we're going to see less and less ticks on the dogs now that we're on something that's going to kill them for the whole month.
0: Yeah. So if they're on a Semperica trio, say you've got your dog on it and they've been on it for four years, it does that vac or that pill and that prevention become less effective. Do the dogs build up an immunity to that? Should a guy switch them every once in a while?
1: So, so technically all drugs, there's going to be some immunity, uh, you know, some breakthroughs with it. And we have, which is why I use Pro heart on my dogs for years, uh, HeartGuard, which is ivermectin, and then just straight ivermectin, which is the cattle and pig dewormer. People use on dogs a lot of times, especially hunt dogs. Um, you know, uh, Interceptor, which is another heartworm pill. All those pills have been out 20 or 30 years, and so there are resistance issues to most of those pills. And on a on a daily basis, when I was a regular daytime veterinarian, I would diagnose a dog with heartworms. That I could look back in the records, and I can see that my this this dog was given that pill every. I, I sold it to him. I'm not saying they gave it, but I sold it to him every single month for two years straight. And the dog was negative for heartworms one year, and the next year it tested positive. And so they started doing research on these dogs in these cases, and they finally found that there's resistance issues where some of these dogs are getting heartworms despite being on heartworm prevention. And so um, in horses and cows and all this, they do a lot of this rotational worming where they'll use Quest one month and they'll switch them to, to you know, uh, uh, praziquantel, and then they'll switch them to, to something else. You know, they do rotational dewormings on cows and horses a lot because of resistance issues. We really don't see that quite as often in dogs. Uh, we don't really see that in the brevecto and speck yet but it is coming um to answer your question it probably won't do you any good to switch every two or three years because just because you switch doesn't mean your neighbors right by you switch and so those fleas and ticks and all that stuff are going to cross back and forth and after a population of fleas have been exposed to the same medication same treatment over and over and over and over for years and years and years their bodies are going to eventually find a way around it. Same thing with bacterial resistance, antibiotic resistance and people and all this stuff. That's why vets have been blamed for years and years on causing all this, you know, resistant uh, drugs, you know, resistant bacteria to all of our antibiotics is because they say vets overuse antibiotics. And we as vets and as human doctors have to be careful on how often we prescribe antibiotics because the more it's prescribed, the less likely it is going to work in the future. And so as time goes on, they're going to come up with new ones. Semperica Trio is pretty new. Regular Semperica, which is just a flea and tick parts pretty new. Provecto is pretty new. You know, back when I got out of vet school in 2008, you know, we had Confortis had just come out. It's called Spinisad. It, it just did flea only. Frontline and Advantage, I'm sure most people remember those. Those had been out for 10, 15, 20 years before I got out of vet school, and they just don't work anymore. I mean, you can put that on a dog and the fleas go up there and drink it like it's water, you know, because it just doesn't work anymore. Um, so eventually that's why these companies are, are always coming out with new medications is because eventually it's not going to work. But to be honest with you, in, a, in that dog's lifetime, it's probably OK to give that dog the same flea and tick pill forever until that population of fleas. Becomes immune to it. So it's not the dog itself making it. It's that population of fleas and
2: ticks that are there. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients,
0: you know, a lot of our listeners run big, large packs of hounds. You know, they're big game hunters. They're running big game. They're running hogs, coyotes, all that. Those types of preventions can get expensive, and they can be costly every month at $30 a pill. So, you know, right. some of them go and they do the ivermect themselves, and, or they look for alternative yep. methods to treat their dogs for, simply just for cost savings, not because they don't care yep. about their hounds. It just hurts the pocketbook. Sure. What what are some things that we can do maybe to help ease that load? And, you know, even if it's not easing the load, is there a good reason why we should stick with these vet prescribed pills rather than doing it ourselves? Like, is there a benefit for us maybe in the long run?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so the good news about, like, uh, especially heartworm stuff, you know, the flea and tick stuff, not so much, but the heartworm stuff, like the, the pills, Interceptor, Heart Guard, Trifexis. You know all these heartworm pills, and even ProHeart and all them now too. They all have a guarantee with their product. So if your dog is current on heartworm prevention and it was tested negative before you started, and then you do it, and you can you can show that that, hey, I did the ProHeart six every six months at my vet office, and your vet keeps records and all this stuff. Or ProHeart twelve, which is a twelve month shot, you show that you've taken. You know you did your part. Basically that drug company gives a guarantee with their product that your dog is going to stay heartworm free. And if it doesn't, most of them, I've had some trouble with some of the companies like Trifexis. That's why I don't recommend it. But most of the companies, especially ProHeart and Baricotrio and all those, they're newer. And so if there's a dog that comes up heartworm positive, they'll give your vet um, a, a stipend basically to treat your dog for heartworms for free. And so I've, over the years, I've had a bunch of them, not pro and not trio yet, but uh, the heart guard and interceptor dogs and all those that the drug companies wrote me a thousand dollar check to treat that dog for heartworms for free. And then they go ahead and they give that owner a year supply of the prevention free as well. But in my opinion, I always tell these people, I'm like take that prevention and sell it to somebody else because obviously in your dog, it's not working. So why would you give your dog that same prevention that it already got a hotworms on? So that was, that's my biggest, I guess, pet peeve about the heartworm side is that I'm not keeping my dog in the same prevention that it got a hotworms on in the first place, you know? So um, that is the plus to doing it through a vet office. Now I myself grew up with hog dogs. Uh, I coon hunted my whole life, squirrel hunted, Uh, ram deer dogs i mean anything you can think of dog wise other than like bird dogs i even not have a duck dog anything you think of other than like a quail or pheasant type dog i've had and uh we have done everything as far as flea and tick and haltworm prevention but for these big game hunters and these people that run you know 20 or 30 coyote dogs or 20 or 30 pack of deer dogs i tell those people to give those dogs ivermectin okay there's no guarantee with it but it's gonna work most of the time as long as you give the right dose and it's safe. Um, but if you don't give the right dose, I've seen dogs die from it. And you got to make sure you give it every month. Um, I see dogs at my emergency clinic that come in dying, coughing up blood, and all this stuff because the dog was heartworm positive and they decided to start it on on ivermectin. You really can't do that because it's gonna either kill them or it's gonna cure them. It's gonna kill the heartworms and kill and, and cure cure the dog or it's going to kill the heartworms and kill the dog. So that's the negative to doing the the uh, ivermectin route. But if you can test your dogs and make sure that they're all negative when you get them and then start them on the ivermectin every single month, uh, it's okay. It's better than doing nothing. Um, one out of ten dogs will probably still get heartworms while they're taking the ivermectin, but one out of ten is better than ten out of ten, which is what's going to happen if you don't do anything
0: yeah absolutely so <clears throat> we've got we've got our preventions as puppies we have went on to heart guard flea tick prevention another big topic in the hound world is thyroid oh my dog he's not performing he's got thyroid issues yeah. you know sure. Let, let's dive into that a little bit let's take a deep dive into that For, let's start with okay is there an, an age where a dog is is, okay, they can possibly have thyroid issues. Because I've heard that if the dog's under three years old, they can't have thyroid issues. Is that true or false?
1: Uh, I would say that's false. I've seen it in as young as a year old, okay? They can have congenital hypothyroidism. Um, That's not a hound thing normally. Um, And I'll be honest with you, it's going to make a lot of people mad probably. But most hypothyroid uh, hounds are not truly hypothyroid. OK, that's our way of making an excuse for that dog of being, you know, p- poor doing basically. Right um, now, not saying it's the owner's fault, not saying it's the vet's fault. But in my opinion, th- hypothyroid dogs, if you look it up and you research it, hypothyroid dogs are fat. They're lazy. They're they no matter if you put them on a diet, they don't lose weight. They pant a lot and they're just they're just poor doing all all in general you don't see many hounds in general that are fat. I mean, they get their guts ran out. uh, And and to be honest, they are not generally hypothyroid dogs. Okay. Most thyroid disease, thyroid illness in hounds is probably the most overdiagnosed thing, kind of like ADHD in in kids. You just let those kids grow out of it. In my opinion, most of them are going to be okay. You know, same way with those dogs. Most of the time, if you diagnose a dog with, with hypothyroid, It's probably because its thyroid is low. It's not a vet vet being wrong. There's something there making that dog's thyroid low. Okay. All these tick diseases we just talked about, that is probably the most common reason for a dog to have a uh, hypothyroid-like illness is tick disease. Okay. In dogs, honestly, as a vet, you're not supposed to test a dog for thyroid disease if they're sick from any other reason. It's called a non-thyroidal illness. Any dog that's sick is probably going to have a low thyroid, and that's not your primary problem. We call that a secondary problem. So a lot of times if you put them on thyroid medication, it's going to make them better. It's going to make them feel better, but you didn't fix the underlying issue. So it may only last for a week. It may only last for a month. It may only last for a year or two, but that dog is going to eventually get sicker until you find out the underlying issue. One of my personal dogs you know, we ran a thyroid on him because I'm like, look, this dog used to be legit and he's not no more. All these hound people think that thyroid is is, is the end all be all of a, of a dog issue. So let's run a thyroid test on this dog and see. And this dog tested low normal. That's what you find on most of these true thyroid dogs is that they're not true thyroid. When it says low normal, that means that dog has some other illness. And then when I tick tested this dog, he had every disease known to man that a tick would would give. And that's why this dog was showing low thyroid. And it was like a 0.7. It wasn't even super low. You know, normal range and it all depends on what machine you're using. And if you're doing it in the house or you're sending it out, um, but like one to two or one to three is a normal thyroid range. Um, you know, less than 0.7, they consider true hypothyroid disease. 0.7 to one on my machine is what they consider in the gray zone where that dog may be thyroid, you know, hypothyroid, or it may be that it has a non-thyroidal, you know, hypothyroid illness. Um, and so in my opinion, you got to dig deeper, and you got to find that the dog is healthy from all other aspects before you say, my dog is truly hypo- hypothyroid. Because once you start them on thyroid medication, their body's going to get used to having that medication, and it's hard after that to ever take them off of it if you take them off of it they're going to go downhill quick because their body's gotten used to that excessive thyroid supplement that you're giving them and so it's it's probably been the killer of a lot of dogs you know uh, their their career basically by putting them on thyroid medication unneeded and then take them off of it um you know been a lot of good dogs probably got shot and euthanized because they wouldn't perform after they've been taken off of their thyroid medication and it's not because they were truly thyroid But it was just because their body got used to it.
0: Right. So, okay, let's say that we've got a dog who, you know, like you said, he's legit. And all of a sudden, he's not legit. Is that something that we should be looking at? Okay, for two weeks, the dog's not acting the same. Let's let's run a test. Or is it something that, okay, it's been a month and he's not acting the same. Let's run a test. What are the signs?
1: You should run other tests first. So you shouldn't even – you should never run a thyroid test on a dog like that until you've exhausted all the other reasons. Tick diseases is your first one you should do, depending on where you are and where the dog's been hunting at. But you should run a 4DX test on him, and then you should also send out a, a tick panel. You know, most of – a lot of the vets I've ran into, you know, with, with my handler bringing them to other vets, you know, when I'm, when I'm not able to get to them, they want to run a 4DX test only. And that's going to tell you positive or negative, but it's not going to tell you that the dog's actively sick like Jed. You know, I'm, I'm currently waiting on um, a, a, a panel to come back on his Lyme disease because the vet that we originally took him to in, in Kentucky um, wanted him to be started on doxy for 30 days. Well, as most of y'all know, when you start doxy for 30 days, they got to lay up for 30 days, if not 45, because it's something, and I never knew this before I started the hound deal. Something with that doxy kills their smell. They don't, they, they can't have, like they smell a coon at all. They won't, they'll run all night long and never treat and never even make a bark because they can't smell that doxy does something to their smell and their ability to, to track something. Um, but they wanted to start this dog on doxy. And I told them, I said, look, did y'all run a, a quant value on him to see what his, his you know, line value was? And they said no we don't generally do that we just treat them with doxy and i said yeah it's a different situation i said this dog's got a lot of big hunts coming up i don't want to lay them up for 45 days for no reason uh i said so i want to i'll bring them back home with me and i will i'll do a quant value on them and i'm i'm waiting on that quant value to come back you know they they do a quantitative value on the Lyme disease if it's 30 or greater that means it's an active infection and the body's not going to take care of it on its own and you got to treat them with doxy at that point if they are less than 30, that means more than likely the dog is going to clear that infection on his own and he's going to test negative in 30 to 60 days. And so on those dogs, I don't run doxy through them, you know, unneedingly, because doxy is one of the few drugs that we have that will treat Ehrlichia, uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, Lyme disease, and all these other tick diseases that we see in these hunting dogs. So we don't want to exhaust, you know, doxy for no reason. So I would never – I would never – Uh, test one for hypothyroid until I've done at least a 40X test and full blood work to check a CBC chemistry panel, electrolytes, um, and then also a tick panel sent out, you know, because it's going to test for other things that that 40X can't test for. That 40X tests for three tick diseases and and heartworms. And there's a lot more tick diseases that these dogs can get. And plus, it doesn't tell you the difference between the Ehrlichia species. You know, there's multiple different species of Ehrlichia that these dogs get, and they all act differently. Um, and same thing with anaplasmosis. You know, they're they're different diseases, and they'll cause different things. Some of them are respiratory, cause them a cough. Some of them are blood-related, cause them to get anemic. Um, and so you got to do all that preliminary work, basically, before you would ever test that dog for for thyroid and if he tests positive for any tick disease or anemic or anything on his blood work is off thyroid test is going to be unreliable and unneeded at that point you got to clear everything else up and then test him for thyroid if he doesn't get better once his blood work better
0: so i've heard you say something a couple of times here and it interests me you said you know you've learned a lot since you got into the competition hunting um especially about the tick stuff and, and you're a vet you know you're a doctor you went to vet school that leads me to believe that, you know, maybe some of these vets that we're taking our dogs to, not that they mean, they don't mean well. Maybe they just don't know what we're dealing yeah. with. So yeah. what is a person supposed to do if they their dog is displaying all these signs of something's not right and you want to run all these tests on them? Is, are these terms that we can take into, you know, our local vet and say, hey, I want to check for A, B and C. Can you do that, or are there vets who just are not able to do that because they don't know what it is?
1: Uh, most of them are going to know what it is. Now, a lot of them, to be honest, aren't going to be able to run it in house. Like you know, I'm able at my clinic to run a 40x test, heartworm test, CBC, electrolyte, chemistry panel, coagulation test, uh, ultrasounds, X-rays. You know, I can do a lot of that stuff at my emergency clinic. Most of the other clinics in my town, um, and we probably have seven or eight clinics between my two little towns right there close to me. And most of them don't have ultrasound. Very few of them have ultrasound. Very few of them. I think there's probably two of them and counting me that has a coagulation panel to check for rat poison. So it all depends on the vet, but to be honest, if they can't run it in house, they can easily draw the sample and send it off. You know, a lot of the clinics, I've I've figured this out as well since I got into the, you know, handlers in Kentucky type deal. A lot of those smaller uh, clinics in Kentucky stuff can't even run a CBC chemistry and electrolytes in the house, you know, which checks kidney function, liver function, anemia, and all that. Most of them have to send them out. Now they get them back the next day uh, or two days later, but, you know, a lot of them don't even have blood machines in, in clinic, you know, and it's hard for me as an emergency veterinarian to fathom that, but that is, that is it. But, you know, the best thing to do is for the owners to kind of do some research on their own as far as what tick diseases they worry about what's in their area and all that and then and then call a vet a local vet office and talk to them and say hey look I have a dog that's doing this and I think he may have a you know a tick disease what tick disease stuff can y'all do in house and what tick disease stuff you're okay sending out and so i would I would just be straight up honest with the people and, and the vet and tell them, you know, what you want. And then most of them are going to do what the owner asks, you know, and just, you know, just tell the vet, hey, look, you know, if this, if you don't feel like this is needed, let me know. Because I don't want to waste money for no reason, because in certain cases, there are certain things that point to certain diseases. And so if it's not pointing to a tick disease, there's no reason to spend two or three hundred dollars sending out all this tick stuff. You know, and so sometimes an owner may think a vet's just not wanting to do it, and the vet's actually trying to save them money. Now, some vets are going to do the opposite and want to charge them everything they can charge them to get everything they can get out of them, and that's that's the sad part of it is you you never know which vet you're dealing with until you you get in there and you you uh, you know experience it once or twice.
0: Right. So go if we go to the emergency side of things because that's what you are now, emergency vet clinic. You know, stuff has hit the fan. It's bad when they're coming to see you. What what are some things that maybe you know us hound hunters can keep on hand for an emergency kit? Like, what is there anything that we should be keeping in stock at our house? Because I know for myself, the nearest emergency vet clinic is over an hour away. Is there something? That, is there a list of things we should keep on hand in our house, in our fridge, in our truck? That hey, when stuff hits the fan, this is what you need, and this is how you use it.
1: Um. Yeah, you kind of gets a little sticky there because. I guess the, the one thing I would tell people that they should carry um, is Benadryl, you know, just oral Benadryl. Um, where y'all are, Bryce, you don't have to worry about it as much, but where I'm at, snake bites are a big deal. You know, we see tons of copperheads, uh, cottonmouths, which are mosquitos, and then, you know, rattlesnakes even in north Louisiana. Um, and if those dogs, you know, get bit by that and you're, you know, 30, 45 minutes deep in the woods and you got an hour drive to an emergency clinic, you know, your, your doll is going to be a little more comfortable if you give him Benadryl. Now, is that dog going to die if you don't give him Benadryl before you get to the vet office? No, most of the time not. You know, snake bites in dogs aren't near as bad as in people. You know, me and you get bit by a snake, and we don't get antivenom. We die most of the time. But dogs, not so much. You know, we don't even do antivenom in dogs. We give them steroids. We give them uh, pain meds. We give them Benadryl, and we give them antibiotics because they get infections. But if I had to tell somebody, you know, if you, if you had a vet that was a friend of yours or you had – you know, a feed store owner that would sell you something. Um, you know, keeping some penicillin in your box is not a bad deal, but it needs to be in the fridge. And then keeping a steroid like you know dexamethasone or something like that—it's not a bad thing to have on hand, as long as you use it correctly. Um, you know, it's a it's a good thing for certain things. You know, I I sent my handler some. Some steroids and Benadryl and antibiotics and that kind of stuff just to keep on hand in case he's at a big hunt and the dog gets in a bind and I'm not able to get up there. Um, but you know, for most people that don't have a a vet friend or a vet on speed dial, steroids and antibiotics and all those things are 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 hard to get your hands on. So the easiest thing to get your hands on that might would help is is Benadryl. You know, because it, it is really good for uh, swollen throat and that kind of stuff from like a bee sting or a wasp sting or a snake bite or, you know, infection from a uh, abscess or something like that, you know, Benadryl will help that swelling. But most of those things there, um, you know, you just got to get him into a vet when you, when you can.
0: Right. So let's, let's say it's not quite an emergency. You're at a big hunt. You, say we're at super stakes. You know, we've been hunting for a week and on the last day, our dog, you know, maybe you pull him out of the box and he's got a, a swollen ankle. It looks like he's, you know, twisted something. A carprofen is something that I keep on hand a lot for like an anti-inflammatory. Is that something good? Is, am I doing something wrong? But I just know that's what I've had for a long time in the box is carprofen for that kind of situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Carprofen or Remedil is another name for it is uh, is going to be the best thing for that kind of situation. And I actually sent my handler to uh, Remedil, you know, injectable form and oral form, um, for that kind of issue. So, yes, that is definitely okay. It is, it is a prescription. So it's one of those things that you got to have a friend that uh, sends it to you, a vet friend that sends it to you. Or if you have a dog that gets injured and they give you two weeks of it and you only need five days and dogs back to normal, keep the rest of it on hand for those kind of situations. But certain medications like steroids and remedial Corprofen can't be given at the same time because it'll mess up the stomach and give them uh, can shut the kidneys down. So, you got to be careful with what you give and when you give it. If you do have to bring the dog to a vet, you got to make sure you tell the vet what you gave so that we as veterinarians know not to give something that's going to make matters worse. But yes, carprofen is a great drug for swollen ankles and, you know, even dog bites where they get bit and they're swollen a little bit from it, you know, those kind of things. You know, carprofen is real good for that. I keep it in my clinic and I use it a lot. The
2: Houndsman XP Podcast Network is powered by Cajun Lights. All of your lighting needs for hunting can be taken care of at Cajun Lights. They have three models of cap lights. I'm going to run through them real quick. You've got the Rogaroo, which is their high-end light. If you're a competition hunter and you got to find that coon up in a tree and it's all riding on finding that coon, you'll want the Rogaroo on your head. Next is the Bayou. That's a pretty standard light, but it's got packed with features. It's got multiple colors, it's got walking lights, it's got the red, the green, the amber, it's all built in right into that light. And then you have one of my personal favorites, the Micro Gator. The Micro Gator is an ultra lightweight cap light, it's got all the features of a white light, red, green, and amber. I've used this light for everything from finding bear tracks early in the morning, to coon hunting at night, to working on plumbing in the house, changing tires on the side of the road. My truck doesn't leave the driveway without a Cajun light in it, and that light is the Micro Gator. Every Cajun light is durable, made from the highest quality components, and it is backed by Cajun's top-rated customer service. Check out Cajun lights. You can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com, go to our sponsors page, hit that link, it'll take you right to Cajun lights. Check them out. They got a lot of stuff to offer over at Cajun lights.
0: All right, let, let's switch gears here a little bit from you know vet stuff to just general hound care. And the biggest one on that, and if anybody is big into the competition hunting, it, it seems to come in cycles about once every three months. Somebody will make a post about dog food, and then the whole world blows up, and it seems like everybody and their brother yeah. is switching foods and asking questions. What What is your feelings on, on the dog foods? Do you think you should switch up maybe blends of feed? Uh, Certain times of year for the summer, run a lighter protein and maybe a heavier protein in the winter. Let's just dive into dog food. Let's talk about it.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a big discussion. Um, The dog food deal, the problem with dog food, there is no steadfast rule on which food is best and which food should be fed when. Okay, I tell everybody it's an experiment with the dog. Every dog is different, just like every person is different. You can do this diet plan, and I could do the same diet plan, and you lose 50 pounds, and I gain 50. You know, every one of them is different. Same thing with foods. You know, I feed all my personal dogs at home, uh, Pro plant. okay? That's just mainly because as a veterinarian, they do a lot for veterinary medicine. They do a lot of research, and it's a really good food, and they give me a big discount on them when I buy it. That is why I've always fed it. Um, I've fed science diet for a long time, too, and my dogs did really good on it. You know, these most of these dogs I'm talking about are are just house dogs. You know, dogs that are, are, are good for the kids, and that's about all they're good for. Them. You know, I got a, a lab that's 14 years old now, and he's been on – Size diet for the first six or seven years of his life and did great. And then he switched over to Purina pro plan. And for the last six, seven years, he's done great on it too. You know? So every dog is different. Uh, same thing with the blends. I mean, in my opinion, uh, I don't like to switch foods often, but I don't mind switching like on the joy and that kind of stuff where they have the higher protein and then they have the lower protein. Um, you know, it depends on your, your hunting, you know, like my handler hunts six days a week year round. You know, where I'm at, you can hunt six days a week year round because your dog's going to get eaten by an alligator or getting eaten by a snake, you know. It's, it's a lot harder on, a, on us where we are to hunt that often because of how hot it is uh, and the critters that's, that's around. But, you know, where my handler's at up in Kentucky, it's, they don't have to worry about poisonous snakes as much. They don't have alligators. You know, he's, he's a hard hunter, and, and, you know, he hunts six days a week. And, um, you know, honestly, on those dogs – he doesn't generally switch the the, the the protein level and fat level up on them because he's hunting them the same year round. You know, if he finds that they're getting a little too chunky, um, you know, he'll cut back on, on how much he's giving them more than anything. So, you just gotta experiment with it, find a food that works for that dog, uh, for your hunting style, um, and, and your weather and your climate. You know, of course, the further north you get, the more fat they need in their diet, and the more protein they need in the diet because it's colder um you know the more you hunt them the more fat and the more protein they need you know you're gonna lay one up for you know for four months during the summer at in louisiana then yeah i'd cut down on their fat and on their protein because they're gonna get fat um you know you got a female that's that's bred you know i switch those dogs to puppy food you know that's what most vets tell you to do um you know as soon as they're bred they should be switched over to, to true puppy food gives them more Protein, more fat, more vitamins, you know, all the stuff they need for, for, um, getting ready to nurse puppies. And then I feed them puppy food all the way through until the puppies are actually weaned, you know? And then at that point, I slowly transition them back to their normal food. And anytime you change them, even from one protein percent and fat percent to a different, you know, even if it's the same food and it's just a different blend, um, you really, you really want to do that over a five to seven day period of time. Because if not, it can cause them to get a stomach upset, vomiting, diarrhea, that kind of stuff. If it's switched suddenly, so you don't want to just take them off one and switch them to the other. Um, that's a really big deal if you're switching brands. You know, if you go from Joy to Perina or Perina to Joy, or you know, one of those deals, um, you want to switch them over a five to seven day period, where you, you know, put a couple kibble of the new in with the old for a day, and then the next day, you know double the amount of new, take away a little bit of the old, and just slowly transition them until they get to all the new food.
0: All right, so what about feeding times? I personally have always just done it where when I get done hunting at night, I feed everything. That might be at 10 o'clock at night in the wintertime when I'm done, and that might be at 2, 3 in the morning whenever I get done hunting in the summertime. I feed once a day whenever I get done hunting. I know some people say, oh, well, you should feed less twice a day. Does that matter? Is there anything that backs one way or the other as far as feeding goes?
1: I feel like that's, again, that's a personal preference on the owner and a personal preference on the dog. I tell most of my clients to feed twice a day. Um, The only reason is uh, because of a twisted stomach. So when I feed twice a day, like my, all my personal dogs, I feed twice a day, you know, whatever I would give them once a day, I split in half. And so they're getting the same amount, they're just getting two smaller portions. Um, GDV or a twisted stomach is a big deal. We see, you know, labs, Great Danes, I've seen it in a couple of hounds, we don't see it as much in hounds, thankfully. But it's when the stomach is full and it twists on itself and it cuts circulation off to both sides of the stomach, the stomach will actually die and they needed emergency surgery within an hour to two hours of the stomach flipping. And if they don't, they, they, they die from it. You know, me as an emergency bed, I've done tons of those surgeries and have good luck with them if we get them in right away. But if you don't catch them right away and the owners are gone for eight hours and they come home and it's bloated and, and in a bind, usually when you take that dog to surgery, his stomach's dead, you know, and you have to put it to sleep on the table. Um, but I, I have seen in most research that they think that those GDBs happen less frequently if they're fed twice a day smaller amounts so I tell most people twice a day smaller amounts but you know my dad's got tons we got hog dogs and and just you know squirrel dogs that kind of stuff at his house and he feeds all those once a day and they've never had an issue so I really don't think it's an end-all be-all type deal but you know my opinion personally I feed all my dogs twice a day.
0: Gotcha so talking about that twisted stomach you know that's a pretty time-sensitive deal What is something that somebody should look for in that? Like, is there signs that pop up immediately that should register and, okay, I got to go right now?
1: Yeah. So, those dogs are going to be trying to vomit and they can't. So, it's going to be called retching. They're going to be, you know, and trying to vomit stuff up and nothing comes up. And then, if you wait too long, you'll actually see that the stomach starts swelling and, and... air starts you know, forming in the stomach and it almost feels like they got a basketball inside their stomach. You know, that at that point is, is a true GDV. Now, dogs, if they overeat, so let's say you got a crazy puppy that carries out his pen and opens his food container and eats, you know, five gallons of food, he's going to get a big stomach from that and that will predispose it to flipping. So you can have a bloat where they just blow up, their stomach blows up with air or they overeat and they get food distension, but it doesn't twist. But anytime you see one that does that and it gets it eats too much and it gets bloated like that, the next thing that happens after that, if they run and they play and they flip and they turn over and stuff, is that the stomach can twist. So I tell people if you see a dog that's retching and trying to throw up and it can't, they got to go in right away because that is the first sign of a GDV, and then their stomach fills up with gas.
0: Good information. To nothing
1: have. to do at home. Nothing to do at home for those. You just got to get them into the vet office, you know, ASAP
0: yeah that, that's good information just something to keep in, you know keep an eye out because my lab yeah. goodness gracious she would eat five gallons of food if you put it in front of her that's right if i do Most not portion them. her out and whatever i put in front of her it's gone in about two wharfs yep. it's done that's right yeah mine same way all right so we're, we're at super stakes still you know we've talked about our emergency kit we're late in the week late round bound. we're thursday night we've been hunting all week long double rounds is there anything that you can give that dog who is just worn out and tired, you know, a little, a little extra juice, a little boost, you know, we can go to the gas station, we can grab a five hour energy or a monster, and we can, you know, we can have a high for an hour and a half. Is there anything like that for dogs? Is there anything out there that they can, we can give them to just get right through that last late round? Yeah.
1: Um, The first handler I had work for me, Josh Sizemore, um, he really, really believed in that that stuff called bounce back. You know, it's a high calorie uh, electrolyte formula basically that you mix in the water. And after the early round, um, you know, we had a dog named Punch that we were hunting back then, um, been a year and a half, two years ago. And he would always give him, you know, that before the late round. And he swore up and down that that would, that that helped him. That if he didn't give it to him, he noticed a difference. Um, you know, me personally, I I don't know if I ever noticed a big difference, but he's doing that hunting that dog all the time. I trusted what he said, you know, and and it's definitely not going to hurt the dog at all. So there's multiple companies that make those kind of electrolyte pouches of stuff that you can give them. So I would tell somebody that that would be your best bet if you had one that you felt like – kind of runs down on, on that late round you know um it's called bounce back i know and like I said i know there's multiple companies that make them but that's just the one that he believed in and, and he used and seemed to work you know good for that dog and and, and for josh um you know he's just like says just mix it in the water and they they drink it and they, they like it you know and, and uh, some dog i have found that some dogs don't need it you know uh i have i know multiple dogs that are better late round than they are early round you know, there are some dogs that are that way. Well, those dogs, I wouldn't give them anything. Um, but, you know, some of these dogs that just kind of give it their all that first two hour and a half or two hours, you know, it, it definitely would be something that could help those dogs.
0: Yeah, I've used bounce back for a long time. That's something that, uh, you know, uh, my buddy Shane got me turned on to uh dick brothers yeah. we we did our first interview with him on this podcast he believes in bounce back yeah. um so it's it's something that i've used and i'm familiar with so i didn't know if there was you know just that or if there's anything else we can give him. but it sounds like we're all kind of on the same page yep yep i think does the best right now all right so let, let's swap roles let's take off the vet hat and let, let's put on our competition coon hunter hat so anybody who's been around the game you know here recently knows who you are and they know that you've had a couple handlers for you with some, with some top-notch hounds. And, you know, I think just just saying, you know, friend to friend, that's something to be proud of. You've had some really, really nice hounds. You're, you're the owner. You're the guy who's pushing a handler. You're paying these guys to go to the hunts. How do you pick the right handler? How, do, how did you pick Josh? How did you pick uh, Jason? What are you looking for in those guys?
1: Josh was kind of a uh... – just a kind of a coincidence type deal with Josh. Uh, you know, I had a old black and tan that I hunted for years and years. I mean, he was 14 years old when he died. And, you know, I took that dog to vet school with me and I went down to Baton Rouge for vet school and, uh, hunted three or four nights a week there on the Chaffly river, on the Chaffly river, you know, it was a four hour drive, a two hour drive, hour and a half drive or something like that, you know, hour, hour and a half drive for me. Um, and I'd go there depending on what part of the WMA I'd go to you know I'd go there two or three nights a week if I had tests or not you know just kind of depending and you know I got really close to that dog and spent a lot of time down there in Baton Rouge in my six years I was down there in school and, and then when I got out of school I continued to hunt him a little bit too I kind of retired him and he wasn't a competition dog I'd never been in competition hunting before then you know he was just a pleasure dog you know a high dog you know we we killed some coons to him and you know, Coons worked a lot back then, but I didn't have much money, so, you know, everyone I killed, I'd skin out, and I'd sell the hides to the fur company, and I'd sell the meat to people I knew in town that would, would eat it, you know, um, and I just, you know, it's just something I grew up doing. My grandpa used to do it, and you know back then, highs were $20, $30 a piece, and that's how they made a lot of their extra money. You know, he cut hay and had a farm and had milk cows and all this stuff, but he made a lot of his money, you know, with trapping and, and uh, coon hunting and stuff after. And um, I, after that, I lost that dog, I, I kind of stopped hunting for a long time and for years, multiple years, six, seven, eight years probably, and just didn't want to, didn't want anything to do with it anymore because, you know, that dog was super close to me and I was super close to him and so I finally decided that you know it was time I had a little boy that was born that was two three years old and you know I knew I wanted to show him that you know when he got a little bit older and so I looked on Prohound and uh, saw an ad that caught my eye and I called the guy and talked to him for a little bit and it just didn't feel like the dog would was for me and um, you know, I, I called the next one that kind of caught my eye, and it was Josh. And I started talking to him, and we just kind of hit it off. And you know, he said, Look, uh, you know, I don't have anything going on for the next week or two. Um, you got anywhere to hunt down there? And I was like, Yeah, I said, rwma's just open a week or two ago. He said, Well, I'll, look, uh, you just give me some gas money, and I'll, I'll drive the dog down there to you. And he was coming from Kentucky, he said, I'll drive the dog down there to you, and, and, uh, we'll go hunt for, you know, three or four nights if you got it and see if you like him. I said, okay, that sounds like a good deal. So he came down and, and uh, brought a dog that was an action pack type dog. Um, the dog, you know, treed a bunch of trees and, and just never had a coon. You know, he was, he was the dog that's going to make something happen, right or wrong. And that night, the, the first two or three nights, they were just wrong. You know, they were, they were, they were some of them were I could consider circle trees, but most of them were slicks, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I paid Josh's gas money and he, the dog got sick on that third day. And so I brought him to my clinic and, and he was a a thyroid dog, you know, he, he was a (laughs) thyroid dog and, and Josh hadn't been giving his thyroid medicine to him like he should. And he said, he just didn't believe the dog was a thyroid dog. And so I, 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 ran some blood work on the dog and you know kind of person i am i didn't charge josh for the blood work or anything i ran the blood work at my clinic and everything was good on the blood work and i said look let me send a thyroid test off and i sent the thyroid test off and the dog was low on his thyroid and again that was that was kind of before i really knew what i know now as far as the hunting dog side you know because i didn't even tick test the dog you know which i didn't have at that point i didn't even carry 40x test at my clinic so i couldn't have tested him anyway um but i told Josh to start him back on his thyroid meds and, and find somebody else to buy him because i didn't want him you know and uh he uh i gave him some extra money for coming down and spending his time and and uh he called me a couple of weeks after that and said hey look i found a dog you know that i think you might like uh it's a friend of mine that owns him he's a young dog but he's coming and he's coming on and chris Bolin is the guy that owned that dog and uh uh i bought the dog over the phone without ever hunting with the dog you know i trusted josh even though i just met him i trusted him and uh, talked to Chris and trusted Chris and I bought the dog, you know, for, for a, a good amount of money for me back then, you know, I, I bought the dog and, you know, dog was, was pretty little good, pretty good. Josh won a couple of hunts with him and stuff. And then uh, we, he, Josh, you know, kind of figured out that this dog needs a little more training than what Josh was able to do. You know, Josh was a newer style competition hunter and hunted a lot for his whole life, but had never done a lot of training and that kind of stuff and kind of figured out the dog, wasn't going to be what we needed. Wasn't going to be what I needed if I wanted to do competition hunting. And me and Josh had, after he'd come down, he started talking to me about competition. I was like, man, that sounds cool. I think that's something I'd like to do because I'd really never done anything of it. And so we bought the, the Homer dog uh, as a... A way to try to start competition hunting you know josh is my handler and me as the owner and you know homer's a dog and josh kind of figured out kind of quickly there that the dog needed a little more work than what he was going to be able to do to make him into a true you know big money type competition dog and so he uh he got he got he got on the kind of on the role of of uh chris hatfield owned a dog named punch uh, who was a full brother to homer but an older litter he was three years old homer was just a year old uh, Chris owned him and um, Judas Bowling hunted him a little bit for, for Chris. And so Josh borrowed the dog from him and took him to a few uh, legacy hunts and a few smaller hunts and black and tan days and, and did real good. And, you know, at that time, Josh, you know, kind of told me what they wanted for the dog. I think they wanted 20 grand for him. And I was like, there ain't no way i am buy that dog. I mean, my wife would kill me if I spent $20,000 on a dog right now. You know, I was having, marital issues at the time and so i'm like that's gonna be my divorce for sure if i buy $20, <laughs> dog. Uh, and so i told him i said look i just I, I just can't do it you know and and i backed out of the deal for a little while and then uh my wife decided she wanted a divorce anyway and so after she you know told me she wanted a divorce i, I bought the dog uh you know at that time i didn't have anything stopping me from buying the dog so i told josh again i bought the dog twenty thousand dollars never saw the dog in person, never hunted with the dog, just went off of Josh and, and Judas and, um, Chris Hatfield and, uh, bought the dog and, you know, he turned out to be a, a, a stellar of a dog and won a, uh, $20,000 integrity, integrity series, uh, for me and Josh and a bunch of other smaller PKC hunts. And, uh, he was a platinum champion, uh, doubled up at the nationals, you know, he, he had a, he had a good run and then um we had let a uh we'd let a kid hunt him and uh at a at the youth hunt and he ended up getting run over you know i did it as a uh mean josh did it as a gesture of, of kindness to a, a young kid who had not hunted much and when he did hunt he didn't have a dog that was worth anything really and we let him uh, hunt the dog josh was with him and they they cast the dogs out and and he got on the road and got ran over and got killed um and i was josh was heartbroken i was heartbroken you know we we were we were both down and out for a while. And Josh, you know, started talking to me about buying another dog and, you know, I told him I was done. I didn't want anything else to do with the competition hunting. It bit me in the butt, cost me a lot of money. You know, I didn't have the dog insured and, and I was, I was, I was down, you know, I love that dog. I didn't see him a whole bunch, but you know, back then, like I, said, I was going through a divorce and I, uh, I went every other weekend when I didn't have my three kids. I would I was at a hunt somewhere with Josh and that dog, and I got close to him, you know. And so it kind of tore me up when he got killed, and, and uh, I backed out for, you know, a couple of weeks. I would say I told Josh I didn't want anything to do with it, and then he called me and told me he found another dog, and I was like I don't want anything to do with it. And uh, come to find out, uh, Chris Hatfield had the dog, you know, as well. Same kind of person we bought Punch from. Um, He was an older dog, and I know you know the dog, Jed. His name was No Gamble Jed. Uh, Greg Maynard had the dog for a while. Adam Campbell owned the dog. Greg Maynard hunted him, and then, you know, he went to uh, your buddy uh, Basham, and Basham kind of got him lined out and got him on the right road and won a whole bunch of casts with him. And then, you know, you took him to UKC World Hunt and, and did real good with him and, you know, I think finished in top five or whatever with him there. And I talked to Chris about buying the dog before kind of after that first round of the ukc hunt and and uh again i just wasn't the dog was four or five years old was an older dog and didn't have a whole bunch of money won um and so i was kind of skeptical about spending that much money on the dog that that really didn't have a lot of money won he wasn't a platinum he wasn't even a gold champion yet at that point um but he was doing real good you know he was on a 10 or 15 cast win streak and you know it was doing good at UKC and all that, you know, the, the world hunt. And I told Chris, you know, that I would, I would buy him after the hunt. And, you know, he said, well, look, it's going to go up in cost. If he, if he wins it, I was like, I understand that. He said, if he finishes in the top 10, it's going to go up. I said, I understand that as well. So I end up costing me a little bit more money waiting to buy him, but I end up buying him, Uh, before that last night I I called Chris and bought him over the phone and again I I never hunted with a dog never been with him just took you know uh, Basham's word and and Chris's word and Josh's word because Josh I think had hunted with him once or twice and uh, ended up buying the dog and uh, you know I think he ended up uh, placing in top four of the AKC AKC world right after that when Josh had him and uh, me and Josh parted ways um, after that and, uh, I was really debating on selling the dog, uh, cause I just, you know, I had a bad taste in my mouth with the way my other dog died. And I just, you know, I, I was, I was really debating on just selling Jed and getting rid of it. Um, You know, I called you and you hunted him for me in that truck hunt, you know, without you even knowing the dog much, you know, you hunted him for me, um, you know, and and he had a, he had some bad luck, you know, he should have, should have won his first cast there, had some bad luck. He looked good,
0: that cast.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he looked good, but he looked
0: bad. He treed three coons and missed every one of them by one tree.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that dog, since then, you know, Josh, and I'm not talking bad about Josh at all, so don't, y'all don't think that, Josh is a, is a hunter that, that doesn't like to hunt every night and that is okay for most dogs punch was a dog. You didn't have to hunt every night. Punch was a dog. You hunt him once a week, twice a week. He was the same if you hunt him once, twice a week, or you hunting him every night. You know, he was just that kind of dog. Um, and Josh really thought Jed was that kind of dog until I actually got him in somebody's hand that hunted him every night and that that thing has lit another fire i mean he's 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 kicked into another gear since then i mean he never misses hardly knock on wood um you know he is super fast he moved better than punch moved he's actually more accurate than punch now that he's hunted up but he's a dog that you may lay him up one night before the hunt but you better hunt him every night before that if not he's gonna go 2.2 miles every single drop you know you'll never hear him you know um he's a dog he's he's legit I mean he's he's doing good right now you I know mean, we had a little scare on the vets there in Kentucky he thought he had a stick stuck in his lung because he's been doing some coughing so I took him after that uh, pro sport hunt he placed uh, second in at pro sport hunt 140,000 and I ended up taking him to the veterinary specialist there in New Orleans for a CT scan and a scope because they thought he had a stick stuck in his lung but i to find out the specialist redid the x-rays and the spot that was in his lung was getting better and was almost gone. And they did some other testing on him and that they diagnosed him with a, a respiratory uh, case of uh, anaplasmosis, uh, which is treatable with medication. And so he didn't have to have a surgery or sedation or anything like that. But he was with me about eight days, seven or eight days. And I took him back to Jason and Jason said it was like he forgot everything he taught him. You know, he is just now that was a week and a half ago. He is just now getting lined out where he's actually accurate again and listening to him and all that, that dog is a dog that you have to stay on, which I feel like is why he switched hands so many times is that he's a dog that, that needs a lot of care and a lot of work. Uh, and Jason is definitely the guy that had, I feel like, you know, his profession allows him to do that. You know, he doesn't work a daytime job. He trains dogs for a living. Um, you know, I pay him to hunt, you know, per month where I didn't pay Josh. Uh, Josh didn't want to be paid to be truthful. Uh, Josh knew he didn't hunt every night and Josh didn't want to take advantage of me and said, look, I don't want you calling me every night asking me why I'm not hunting since you're paying me to hunt. Uh, he said, I-, I just rather you you know, pay the entry fees. We split the winnings and, you know, pay my food and Gas and hotels and that kind of stuff, he said. But as far as me you paying me every every month to hunt, I don't want it because I I don't hunt hard enough for that. And I was, you know, thankful that he was honest with me from the beginning. Uh, Jason's different, you know. Jason hunts six nights a week, sometimes seven nights a week. Um, you know, he may only be out there an hour or two. Uh, he may be out there all night. It just depends on what the dog needs. And you know, he has definitely been a blessing. You know, he's opened my eyes to a lot of things and. You know i was down and out for a while and i really thought the coon hunting world was a bunch of cooks you know, crooks and a lot of people that want to take advantage of you uh, and and jason truthfully showed me different you know all all of them aren't bad jason's a good one for sure um you know how i how i kind of got involved with jason uh the homer dog that i originally was talking about that we bought first. Um, Josh had recommended me sending him to Jason because if anybody could get the dog out of all of his bad stuff, it was Jason. And he said, if Jason tells you the dog's not worth, you know, spending time and effort and money in to get him into the competition phase, then, you know, we needed to part ways with him or make him a pleasure dog for somebody. And so Jason started hunting the dog for me, hunting him for a couple months, two or three months and said, look, the dog's doing real good. And, you know, I think he may be he may be a competition dog after all. Uh and then he just shut down and started doing terrible again and I ended up testing him for all the tick stuff and everything flared back up and he's just a dog you can't hunt frequently. You can't hunt every night because of the alichia. You know, he's got a bad case of leakia that just doesn't ever go away, you know, and uh since then, you know, Jason uh had called me after me and josh Footways ways and said hey look i know you got this jed dog you know everybody tells me he's the right kind he just needs a lot of work he said you know you're already paying me every month to hunt homer won't you send me jed uh, we'll see how he looks and you know if he looks good and i like him and you want to send me to some hunts i'll you know send me to some hunts and if not i'll try to get him lined out for you and you can sell him and i said okay that's fine and i talked to a, you know Sandra with k light he's a friend of uh, Josh's and a friend of mine and a friend of Jason's and Judas, all of us. And, uh, you know, she, she, you know, highly recommended Jason and a couple other people as well, you know, it highly recommended him and said, look, you know, there may be, you know, there may be, he may not win every cast, but he's a person that's going to be honest with you. And if he tells you, you know, don't go to that, that let's not go to this hunt. Cause the dog's looking terrible. Then trust what he says. And, you know, that's what I needed was somebody that I could trust. And Jason is definitely, you know, been that person. He's been a blessing. And, and, uh, you know i trust everything he says you know with all i got um, which is what it requires in this line because to spend the amount of money that i spend on entry fees and the amount of money that i spend on buying these dogs um you know amount of money i spend on hotels and gas and new trucks for the hunter for the handler and all this stuff um you got to trust who you're with you know and i 100 percent trust you know that he's doing what's best for me and the dog um, you know, I don't require him to hunt every night. I don't require him to send me videos or text me or anything like that. I don't ask him if he's hunting. Um, but he's been upfront with me from the beginning uh, and says, look, I hunt every night except for Sundays, most of the time. And if it's needed, I will hunt Sunday night as well. Uh, if the dog's looking bad, I'm gonna get him right before we go to a hunt. If I tell you to sell the entry, let's sell the entry. Cause we ain't got a chance. Um, you know, to be honest with you, he hated Jed. <laughs> he hated him for the first two months he had him. You know he told me to sell him and uh I had a guy that reached out to me after me and josh split ways and wanted to buy the dog and i priced him because josh, you know jason hated him so much i priced him uh, for way less than what i thought the dog was worth and uh the guy kind of never got back to me after it so i guess it you know the price i listened for wasn't wasn't what he was looking for so he never he never got back to me after that on him and you know me and jason both are thankful you know since then uh jason's made him a gold champion since then and uh qualified him for uh the nationals uh he doubled up at the nationals and then fell apart that next night uh which a lot of dogs do um you know he just placed second in that hundred thousand dollar uh pro sport hunt that uh, josh actually won with a, a dog named bella you uh, i think randy smith owned that dog and, and uh, strickland may own part of it uh, but josh actually uh, is the one that won that hundred thousand dollar hunt which you know, we congratulate him for that it was a big accomplishment and uh you know that she's a good little dog she had a she had a night to remember for sure you know Jed had a had an awesome night that night and and uh just couldn't keep up with her you know that early round uh Jed looked really good and late round you know he actually beat Echo and uh that Spice Girl dog that Croson Hunts and they both are legit dogs and I mean he he did a he did a hell of a job that night and and uh you know beat him by two coons and and uh you know, I couldn't have asked for anything better that night. And that next night, he didn't really make any mistakes, you know, in the championship round. Uh, Bella's just a really good strike dog, hunter strike dog, and by herself, and is quick. You know, that's the good thing about her. So, you know, I think she had a really good night. You know, I'd, I'd like to draw out again because I feel like Jed's going to have – he's going to have a good chance to beat her most nights, you know, but she that night was hers for sure, and she deserved it for sure.
0: Yeah. So um, – let, I want to ask this. Jason Dotry is the guy that we're talking about here, folks. You guys don't know who uh, is hunting for bronc. It's Jason Dottry out of Kentucky. And if anybody knows anything about Jason, you know that he loves Facebook. And he makes some of the most comical posts on Facebook. <laughs> that is right. So, Bronc, as an owner, and I'm going to bring this up because Jason put it on Facebook. He said it first. I didn't say it. The night that he handled Jed, or didn't handle Jed. We should say didn't handle Jed. Yeah. You know, got to the tree, handled the dog, scored the tree, and then realized, oh, crap, I've got the wrong dog on the end of my lead. Yeah. That was, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, a $4,000 entry fee hunt. Correct. And Jed, the correct dog, had struck for a hundred and was by himself with the coon and would have won the cast. What went through your head? What went through your head when you heard that? Were you just, were you irate? Because I know me, I would have been irate. And how, how do you handle that going forward with a handler that you're paying? You pay them monthly. You send them to these big hunts. You've bought him a truck and he cost you a $4,000 entry fee. Jason, we love you, but we got to know Bronx side of the story.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, um, to be honest with you, I mean, Jason 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 is is Jason thought he was fired. <laughs> you know, he called me. He's like, look, man, I know you're going to fire me, but I'm going to tell you the story. I'm like, I'm not going to fire you. Go ahead and tell me the story. You know, they had another cast for people that don't know the story. They had another cast that cut loose somewhere close to him after they had cut loose. And one of those dogs, after he treed Jed in, one of those dogs came in between the cast and where Jed was treeing at and pulled up treed. And so they were walking straight to Jed and got to that dog first and Jason had his garment in his pocket and did not take it out and look at it. I mean, I wouldn't have either. And that's why I told him. I said, I can't blame you because what you did, I would have done as well. Um, and Got the dog, put him on the lead, tied him to the tree, scored the tree. It, he told me he he keeps me updated through all these casts, and he told me, you know, this this tree is is a slick, but I hope I think I can get it. I think I can get it circled. I think they're going to circle it, but to me and you, I'm going to tell you this dog don't have this coon. And he said, but I think they're going to circle it. And I was like, okay, that's good. And then a little later, he called me and said, you're never going to believe what happened. I said, what? He said, that wasn't even Jed. I was like, well, what do you mean that wasn't Jed? He said that dog's not Jed. It's a, it's a dog from another cast. He said, after we scored the tree and all that, I looked at the collar cause I went to put the leash uh, to get him off the lead on the tree. And I said, this ain't my dog. He said, I told <laughs> the judge and, and the judge was Mason Bush. And he told the judge, he's like, judge, this ain't my dog. And the judge was like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, I want to go score my dog. And the judge was like, this was a dog I was hearing the whole time. This is a dog I walked into. So, I just can't, there's no way we can go tree the other dog because we've already scored this tree. And Jason let it go, which he should have because it was his mistake. And he he cut the other dog back <laughs> loose so he could go back to his original owner <laughs> and, uh, and uh, went in there to get Jed and Jed had a coon, which he had had the last like 10 or 12 coons before that. And so went in there and got him and he had a coon. And he was only another like two or 300 yards. He wasn't far. I mean, that other dog came in right there where he was in tree. And so he's like, look, I know you're going to fire me. Uh, I deserve to be fired. You know, it was a $4,000 entry fee. This would have put us into the next round. I don't even remember what hunt it was now. You probably remember what hunt was that?
0: I, I don't remember what it was. I just remember it was a $4,000 entry fee. Cause my gut it sunk was. whenever I read the post. I
1: don't know if it was the one of the truck hunts. I don't remember which hunt it was honestly, but it would have moved us on to the next round. It was a one of those round type hunts. So it would have moved us on to the next round. I think it was a swag series is what it was. It was a $50,000 swag series. That's what it was. Uh, and Jason, like, I just lost us. Uh, uh, I just lost us the cast win, like eight thousand dollars. I said, "Well, hell!" I said, "If he's going to win that, he probably would over the whole thing." You would just lost us fifty thousand, what you lost us. He's like, "Oh no, don't say that." Uh, and I mean, honestly, the thought never crossed my mind to him. I mean, it was an honest mistake. It was something that would never happen again because what is the chances of another dog coming in that close to your dog from another cast and treeing in between exactly where you're walking to? I mean, it was just a wasn't meant to be cast for us, and that's what a lot of them are. If it's your turn to win, it's your turn to win, and do nothing you're going to do is going to mess it up most of the time. That was not our cast to win. Who knows? The next cast, we could have come loose. He could have got hit by a car and got killed. You know, that's the way I look at it. It was God's way of not letting him hunt the next cast for some reason, whether that was something to protect Jason, something to protect the dog. I don't know. We just got to trust that it happened for a reason, and that's what I did. Um, and we – joke about it occasionally, but I've never brought it up. And, uh, you know, Jason brings it up. If anybody does, because he's embarrassed about it still. Um, But it's just one of those things that happens, and thought of firing it never crossed my mind.
0: Uh, That just shows, you know, the the type of person that you are, Bronk. I I haven't known you too terribly long, but the conversations that we have had, you know, I feel like you're just a genuine person. You know, you and I get along great. We hit it off good. Uh, I'm glad to see that you've found somebody who can hunt six nights a week. Because when you asked me to hunt Jed there for a while – uh, you know, I hunted hard for those two weeks, but honestly, for me, I can't hunt six nights a week. I'm lucky if I can get three, maybe four nights in. Yeah. Um, and and I understand that. You know, carrying a full time yeah. job, uh, you know, having yeah. a family with lots of kids, I understand the limitations. So I there was no hard feelings when you found Jason. And yeah. honestly, it's been fun watching you and him win. I was yeah. rooting for him in that uh, hundred thousand hunt, and I was kicking myself in the rear end because I, yeah. you know, I bit him up on the Calcutta. And then I let somebody get it after after it went over 100 dollars I like I'll let somebody me. else have it.
1: I'm I'm the, I'm the I'm the one that outbid
0: you. Oh, son of a gun. I, but
1: but I saved you some money and we lost.
0: Yeah, you got second, but I mean I was I told Nick, I said, gosh darn it, I should have bought lost. it. I know we we lost, I think, but
1: I, I think I ended up... I, I think I bid I think I ended up cause somebody else outbid bid you originally and then I outbid them. I think it was a hundred and fifty or hundred and seventy five, so it wasn't much, but yeah, I saved you hundred
0: and fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, you did. We'll look at it that way. <laughs> you're welcome.
1: <laughs> now if I would have won, that would have been bad.
0: Oh man, <laughs> if I'd
1: have won first, then you know, then I would have cost you a lot of money. Yeah, you're the you person would've... that won first, they want they want a good little chunk of money on that.
0: I think they won eight thousand on that Calcutta, something like 8, 000, that. Eight
1: thousand, that's what it was, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's wrap this up and let's hope this doesn't happen. But I'm just curious from a, you know, from a money man's perspective. What if you, what if Jason and Jed go on a, a dry spell or anybody that's hunting for you and any dog, do you, does it cross your mind to, to swap dogs out for that handler? All right, something's not working. Let's swap dogs. Let's, let's see what we can do to fix this. How do you go about that? Because you've got a lot of money invested in this. You need yeah. to have a return on investment
1: you know jason's got a, uh, a dog named Nikki. that's a three-year-old just on her last super stakes um that when me and him made the deal uh he signed the dog over to me and didn't make me pay anything uh, put her in my name and uh he loves that dog and she's she's a she's a gold champion you know she she won a cast out there in uh oklahoma that casino hunt um i think is a $6,000, $8,000 entry, whatever it was. She won, um, you know, a, a cast out there and put her over that, that you know, gold champion mark. Um, so she's a, she's a she's a good little dog. And, you know, this past weekend, uh, I let Jason make all his decisions, to be honest with you. Jason is the one that hunts the dogs. Um, he has my 100% trust on what he says and what he does. Uh, Jason's hard, hard to please as a dog man, though. I mean, I will say that. Jason was so rough on Jed originally and wanted me to sell him. And now if I offered him $100,000, I told him, look, I got to offer $100,000 for somebody to buy that dog, and I sold it, he'd be heartbroken because he'd be like, that dog's worth more than that. He wouldn't take no amount of money for that dog right now because him and that dog's on the same page finally. Took a little while. But Jed is one of those dogs, and I keep telling Jason this, and I keep having to tell him this, Jed is one of those dogs. He's a true competition dog. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of those dogs, they're not the same when they pleasure hunt. They don't hustle. They don't – they're not as accurate. You know, if it's not something there that's testing them, like three strange dogs after being tied up at the clubhouse for an hour or two and you take them to a new plot of woods and hunt, they know that it's not the same. They know this is just practice. They know that they may get a coon killed to them. You know, it's not the same. You know, they don't act the same. And Jed is one of those dogs to the T, or he was. Jason has kind of gotten him out of that now. Jason now says – he hustles the same uh, on, on practice nights with just him and Nikki, or with him and all the burdens, because he's real big with all the burdens, and so they hunt together a lot as well. Um, but he's saying now that that dog is not that way. He hunts the same competition as pleasure hunting. You know, pleasure hunting-wise, when Josh had him, you know, he may make five trees. He may only have coons in two of those. And the next night you pleasure hunt him, he may have been five for five. You know, you take him to a hunt. He's going to have just about every coon, every tree he has, he trees is going to be a legit circle or den, or it's going to be a coon. I mean, every once in a while, he'll tree a slick, but it's pretty rare. I mean, I'm going to knock on some wood because, you know, I don't want to toot his horn too much and, and screw him up for this weekend coming up, but he's a dog that that is pretty accurate whenever the time is right. Um, we had a entry to a 2,500 Kentucky Morgantown hunt this past weekend that didn't feel and – um, they ended up switching to a 500 pro sport hunt and Jason texted me and said, what dog you want me to bring? Cause Jed's looking like crap. He said, I don't have them lined out yet. And I said, bring who you want to bring. He said, I think I'm gonna bring Nikki. I said, that's fine. And the, the morning of the hunt, he texted me and said, now I'm confused. Now I don't know which one to bring. They both look like crap. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, Take whichever one you got, tells you to take, Jason. I said it's a five hundred dollar entry fee. It's not a six thousand dollar entry fee. I said it's it's up to you. I said she she did she looked pretty good most of the week. I said she earned her ride. I feel like take her if you want to take her. I'm fine either way. I said we got a couple big ones. We got that. Pro sport, uh, truck hunt, uh, appreciation hunt at hundred thousand dollar Black Widow truck. I said we got it coming up this weekend, next weekend, and then you know two weekends after that we got the hundred thousand dollar PKC hunt. I said so he's got his chance coming. I said so if you want to hunt her, hunt her, and he hunted her, and you know the first job he texted me said I made the mistake I should have brought Jed. And I'm like you knew that from the beginning that you weren't gonna be happy with her. Uh, Jed is just a different dog. He is fast moving. Quick hustle, and she's a dog that's the same every single night. You know, she she's gonna do her thing. It just doesn't make her hustle more to be in the cast. Right. And so J- Jason used to think she was a really awesome dog, and then since he started hunting Jed, he doesn't like her quite as much because he said that she's not as fast as she should be. But uh, you know, me and my dog my oldest daughter, took Jed back to Jason and hunted with him one night this past weekend, and and she treated a coon for Jed even struck. And then tree and and then Jed treated. And he had a coon. They both had a coon. And then she treated again and had another coon before Jed even struck again. You know, so she put it on Jed that night. Um, but Jed was laid up for seven or eight days. You know, most time that doesn't matter, but for that dog it mattered a lot. Right. Um, and so he hunted Nikki and and was disgusted that he did so because he just you know he said she wasn't the same. So I honestly to answer your question, I leave it all up to Jason. If he tells me we need to sell a hunt, then we're going to sell it uh, now that he knows the dog, you know, originally I kept trying to get him to bring Jed to a hunt. I said, Jason, just bring him to a hunt. He's going to be different at the hunt than he is, you know, on, on practice day. And he finally took him to one and he won, you know, and he's like, well, this dog does, you know, I'm starting to, starting to g with the dog a little bit, right. you know? Um, but yeah, the dog, you know, I, I let him make the decision on, on who to hunt. And, and, uh, to be honest with you, if he texts me about a hunt, then the answer is always yes. You Know, I, I don't tell him no on any of them because that's how he makes a lot of his money. Uh, it's not breaking me financially to do it. I mean, Jed's already won a twenty thousand dollar integrity series hunt and then that forty thousand dollar pro sport hunt, uh, that hundred thousand dollar honey one second in. So, you know, he's paid for himself. You know, he's earned a right to go to whatever hunts he wants to go to, in my my opinion. Um, you know, and if he continues to win, you know, he's he's owned his, he's owned his forever home as well. You know, I'm not one who likes to get rid of him once I once I once they do me some good, I mean they they die at my house. They don't leave. So he's he's close to being there if he's not there already.
0: Man, I I love to hear that because you know whenever I had bo- or Jed for those few short weeks, I bonded with that dog. He's an easy yeah. dog to bond with. I mean he is yeah. he is a very likable dog and. And it makes me genuinely happy to know that, you know, he's, he's well taken care of. He's in the hands of somebody who's going to give him the chance he deserves, that has the money to back him, give him the showing that he needs to, to be seen. You know, he is a top-level hound, in my opinion. And I think he's shown yeah. it. So, I'm glad that, you know, he's getting pushed yeah. and that he's found somebody who lo- enjoys him for ju- for who he is as a dog as well. You know, right. he's not that's, just a tool. You know, he's he's a right. part if of the you, family.
1: If you look, you know, if you look at his PKC winnings, I mean – to get him qualified for nationals, Jason had to go to a hunt the week before um, to get him to a gold champion because he wasn't even a gold champion. You know, I paid $20,000 for the dog, and he wasn't even a gold champion. But I knew what the dog's potential was. Now, you look at pro sport. He's like the eighth top money winning dog in pro sport at like $62,000. Um, it's just the ones that he wins have been pro sport related. And he's been in a lot of PKC hunts. Right. Maynard had him in a lot of PKC hunts as well, or a lot of pro sport hunts as well. Um, and he's just a dog that, I don't know, he just he fits with Jason, honestly, um, you know, and I'm glad that and he's a five year old dog. You know, he's he's getting up there. You know, he's probably going to have another three, four years, hopefully, of, of good competition left in him, um, you know, because he can do a lot of winning in that time frame. I mean, he's a dog that that should be a platinum champion with no issues and, and he just needs the right person. You know, yeah, behind him, and I think Jason is definitely that right person now. And Basham, you know, Basham did really good with him as well, and I know you did good with him out at UKC.
0: You know, he was rolling then, you know, and then I think he's back to that point. Yeah, that's Took good. Took him a little while, but, you know, he's back to that point. Now. Yeah, that makes me happy. All right, well, I want to I wrap this up with one other question that, that literally sparked my interest right before we started recording this podcast today. What do you think the future of these big money hunts are here, and let's say, like, the immediate future there, there's an old saying, you can always tell when the ship is sinking because the big dogs start swimming. And within the last couple of weeks, just looking at it, you know, uh, Strickland, John Strickland had Apollo for sale, $75,000 today, yep. this morning, Scott Echo. Engel post yep. Echo for $100,000 for sale. So yep. those are two big names and those are two big dogs. Do they know something? Do you? As you as a money man, are you looking at anything? Does that concern you? No,
1: nothing no those those dogs are those owners and those dogs are they did it for the right reason you know um strickland honestly i don't know why but i feel like he's become a female dog man like he only really wants to hunt female dogs now um and i know why i guess because a lot of the male dogs are or pains in the butt, you know, whenever it comes to breeding and females being around and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, Echo's getting up there in age. You know, Echo's seven years old. Um, you know, we drew out with Echo. I hate to draw Echo because he is a tough dog. Uh, he's a low-level strike dog in my opinion, but when he trees, he's going to have a coon just about every single time. You know, that night we beat him, really and truthfully, the only reason we got a chance to beat him was because him and that Spice Girl dog, uh, Echo and the Spice Girl dog, you um, got on a track together. Jed went off the other direction. They got on a track together. And before we even got to the tree, the guide said, then we were, we hadn't even started walking to the dogs yet. And the guide said, that's going to be a a den tree. And I was in the back with the guide. I was on that cast. And I said, what makes you say that? He said, I've treated that tree a hundred times. And I, he said, if they're in the tree, I think they're in. He said, I've treated that tree a hundred times and I've never seen a coon in that tree. He said, even when it's, when there's no leaves on that tree, he said, there's no holes to be found. He said, "But he said I've been minus on that tree before, but I know those coons are in that tree. There's a hole. There's a hidden hole. There's some way they get in that tree. That you just can't see." He said, "But it'll be it'll be a, it'll be a circle tree." And we got there, and before we pulled up that tree, he said, "That's the tree." I was like, "Okay, good." <laughs> and, uh, and they end up they end up, uh, they end up circling the tree, the Jed tree, the coon, and uh, he had struck for it was a three dog cast. He struck for fifty because he's. He's, he's, he's a lower-level, mid-level type strike dog. Echo actually struck for 100 that night, which I was surprised. You know, that Spice Girl dog usually strikes for 100. Um, and, and, you know, that that was the break there that we needed. And then, you know, t- Spice Girls treated a coon by herself. Echo treated a coon by themselves. And then Echo kind of just kind of fell out of here almost. And uh, Spice Girl treated again and was another circle tree, you know. And, and Jed tree two more coons, you know. So, I don't, I don't honestly think that there's anything that's wrong, and that's why they're getting with these dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, Engle had definitely wrote – Engel's a trustworthy guy. I believe everything he says, he's a good guy. You know, there's a lot of them in that coon hunt world I wouldn't trust as far as I could, I could throw them, but, you know, he's different. You know, he's going to tell you like it is, and I don't feel like he's hiding anything. You know, he said the real reason he was getting rid of that dog. You know, he's, he's about that mojo line. You know, and, and uh promoting those rodeo dogs now and, and that's what he's trying to spend his time with and he doesn't want Echo to sit up and go to waste, I feel like. And somebody'll buy that dog this week. I mean it's that's what I told Jason. I said it'd be hard for me to think that dog would be on that on on, on sale for more than two or three days. Somebody's gonna buy. He's too good of a dog to for to, to somebody not to spend the money on
0: it. For for a hundred thousand dollars, he's gonna be gone. I know
1: I know le- I know dogs that sold for that much or more and were less dogs than
0: him. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy same to see. Thing
1: with, same thing with Apollo. I mean, Apollo sold pretty quick, you
0: know. It's crazy you know, to think what coon hunting's getting to.
1: It is. You know, and, and it's it's sad, honestly, in some regards, because a lot of people that don't have the money, like, I'll be honest with you, I'm never spending $100,000 on a dog. I mean, I could do it financially. I wouldn't want to, but I could. I just don't think I could ever bring myself. Knowing what I've been through, I've had two dogs that got killed since I've started this coon hunting stuff, um, you know, since I've started this competition coon hunting stuff in two years, you know, and they both are $20,000 dogs, you know, so I've, I've taken some hits for sure. So it'd be hard for me to think I had a hundred thousand dollar dog and then someone died. Yeah. Oh, I know. It'd be hard for me to hard for me to spend that money, but somebody will because he's, he's a good dog. He's worth it for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, Brock, Hey, I tell you what, man, we're closing in on an hour and a half here. I cannot thank you enough for joining me. This has been fantastic. I mean, it was informative. It was fun. It was this, this was a good time, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and and join me today.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me on, and uh, we'll do it again one day if you ever need anything else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll for sure have you on here because there will be some more, uh, there'll be some more vet topics that come up that I'm going to need some help on. And and if it can help me, it can help somebody else too. So
1: that's right. I appreciate
0: it. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Well, thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Deep and Lonely Podcast. We appreciate you guys taking time to sit down and listen to our podcast. Uh, you know, we do this to try and teach, teach, train, and learn um, to help out. We, we enjoy it. It's informative. It's fun. Uh, bre- gives you guys some insight to the sport of competition, coon hunting, and I think Bronk was a good example of that. So if you guys enjoy it, uh, you know, please follow us where, uh, wherever we're at, whether that's our social media pages, that's going to our online store, houndsmanxp.com, checking out some merchandise. We've got some hats, tumblers. Check out the new uh, Competition Extreme Dog Box we've just launched. That is a well-built box. It's different than any other box on the market. It might not look like it from the outside, but once you guys uh, stay tuned and check out some of these videos we're getting ready to drop on it, you will see it is built different than any other box on the market. I said, guys, uh, once again, thank you for listening to the Houndsman XP podcast, Deep and Lonely. Bronk, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. You're welcome. Bye-bye.